How's it going, everybody? You doing good? Good to be back with you. Uh, I want to welcome uh, all of our guests and first-time visitors across all of our campuses. My name is Aaron, and I get to serve as one of the pastors around here. And we are one church that gathers across multiple locations. So I just want to say hello, hello to all of our campuses right now. And uh, our mission as a church is to remove unnecessary barriers that keep people from Jesus. And the reason why we say that so often and the reason why we say it the way that we do is because we believe that Jesus is the only one who can change anyone. And so we want to get as many people to Jesus as we can. And then once we get you to Jesus, we want to help you to grow. And uh, we can't do growth for you, uh, but we can show you the way, and we can give you some tools, and we can cheer you on. And that's largely the heart behind growth track. That's why we talk about that so often, encourage you to get there. So I want to encourage you uh, to go to growth track right after the service at all of our campuses. And for those of you that are going through growth track, Thank you so much. Uh, glad to have you in all that. And uh, before we uh, jump in to wrap up this uh, study that we've been in for the last several weeks, uh, I just uh, have uh, some things I want to celebrate with you. Uh, earlier in the year, I was able to tell you that we're going to um, launch campus number five and six, our Midtown campus in Broad Ripple and our Northeast campus in Fishers, and was able to tell you about, uh, yeah, a few smattered clappings. We can celebrate that. Can't get tired of that. And uh, I uh, shared with you who our uh, Midtown campus pastor was going to be a few weeks ago, uh, Kyle Riley, who currently serves at our downtown campus. Today, I want to uh, announce who our Northeast campus pastor is going to be. And uh, those of you that have been around here for a while, you know that campus pastors such a, an important role. Uh, they've got to have the character and the competency and the calling and the trader's point, humble, hungry, healthy DNA. And uh, man, this individual has all these things uh, in spades. And so I'm just super excited to be able to announce that our Northeast campus pastor is going to be our very own Aaron Hoover. Now let's go ahead and give, a, give it up for Aaron. And I believe we have a picture of Aaron and his wife, uh, Megan, and their kids. And uh, Aaron currently serves as our North campus pastor. And, and I can remember um, eight or nine years ago, Aaron was, uh, was attending this campus, the Northwest campus, and he just reached out to me and said, man, what do you do if you feel called into ministry, and what are my next steps? And I just remember trying to encourage him, and it's been amazing to see how he has grown in his leadership. He's doing an incredible job at the North Campus. And basically, you know, they, they sort of came to us and said, hey, we want to throw our names into the hat to, to go and launch Northeast. Uh, they were comfortable at North. North has its own facility, all that. And Aaron's like, you know what? We're willing to go wherever God is sending us to reach more people. And I love his heart. And so uh, we're really excited about uh, the leadership that he's going to provide to that campus. Now, with him moving to Northeast, that obviously left a vacancy at our North Campus. And uh, I, so I just want to go ahead and just announce that we have a North Campus pastor to step in behind Aaron as well. And it's going to be our very own Bart Shaw. And uh, so we go ahead and give it up for Bart, his wife Brooke, their kids. And Bart uh, has been leading kind of our group's effort at a church-wide level. So even though you may not necessarily know Bart, you've probably felt the effects of Bart. And I call it the Bart effect. And no, I really don't. That was stupid. I just made that up. All right, so, uh, but Bart, Bart's been, he's a phenomenal leader, and Bart uh, just came and said, hey, we're willing to do whatever God's asking us and calling us to, to do, and so Bart is going to be stepping into the North Campus Pastor role while simultaneously still leading our group's efforts. So I realize that uh, we're uh, so spread out as a church, you may not know these individuals and their families personally, uh, but I want to ask you to be praying for them if you don't. If you do know 
the Hoovers and the Shaws, man, reach out to them, encourage them, uh, be praying for them in the coming months as they get ready to launch out. And then as always, if you want to be, or you have any desire to be a part of the launch team of either the Midtown or the Northeast Campus, go to tpcc.org backslash launch team and sign up. Right now we have about 600 people, 300 for each campus that have already signed up to be on the launch team. And that's just really encouraging to see. Really excited about it. Well, uh, today we are wrapping up this uh, series that we've been in, which is a study in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. So if you have a Bible or maybe a device with a Bible on it, go ahead and get to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I say that it's a a book uh, in the Bible, and it it is, but it's actually more of a letter than it is a book. It's It's a personal letter written from an older man by the name of Paul to a younger man by the name of Timothy. So in a sense, we're sort of opening up somebody else's mail and reading it, which is borderline creepy and generally frowned upon. But I don't think that Paul and Timothy would mind. I think that they would be like, man, by all means, if this is going to help you, it helped me read it because there's so much good content in this letter that is applicable to every single one of our lives, regardless of who you are, how old you are, or what you might currently be going through. It's important to know that 2 Timothy is actually a part of three short letters that Paul writes kind of generally within the same time frame. First in 2 Timothy and then Titus. And really what Paul is doing is he is writing to encourage two younger leaders who find themselves in a role in which they are in way over their head. And I know a thing or two about that. It seems like I'm in always over my head. And Paul knows it. He's like, hey, you, you two guys, you need some help. And, but not in a condescending way. Paul loves these two young men. Timothy has just stepped into a leadership role in the church of Ephesus, a, a church that Paul had actually uh, served in. And Titus had just stepped into a, a leadership role in the church in Crete. And Paul finds himself in a Roman prison cell, awaiting execution. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy I don't know if you picked up on this or not, in the study of this, it sort of has the feel of a farewell letter, because it is. Paul knows that he doesn't have much longer left. He's in his final days, and so he is writing to these two young guys to pass on to them the spiritual gains that had been going on in his life, and that he had been developing through years of following after Jesus. And I love that about the heart of Paul. I was thinking about it this last week. It's the first time I've ever really thought about it. Just for a second, put yourself in Paul's sandals. And think to yourself, you know, okay, here I am, I'm an older person, and I've been following Jesus for decades, and instead of getting a watch and a nice retirement party, or instead of going down to southwest Florida to spend the remainder of my days on a warm beach somewhere, I'm in a Roman jail cell. Locked away, largely forgotten, nobody saying thank you to me for all the years of service. And I thought to myself, you know what, it would have been, but it would have been tempting for me. I can only speak for myself. I think I would have been maybe... If, feeling sorry for myself, borderline bitter, and maybe even thinking, you know what, I'm just going to live for me. I've already, I've already worked hard. I've already done my time. I'm just going to try to spend the remainder of my days doing what I enjoy doing. But Paul doesn't do that. In fact, Paul, Paul could have very easily kind of thrown his hands up and said, you know, here I am, uh, an older person in a Roman jail cell. What can I do? And he says, I can do something. And so he put pen to paper, and he begins to encourage these two younger leaders who will be around long after he is gone. And I love that about his heart. 
And we've sort of packaged the study of this letter by calling it gains. And that may be a term that you may or may not be familiar with, but it's mostly a term that you hear in the gym. You know, people you may trying to get in shape, trying to make some progress, trying to pack on some muscular gains. Uh, my uh, 16-year-old son, he's kind of right in the middle of this. He's uh, going to open gyms, you know, after school every day, lifting some weights, trying to put some muscle on his you know, frame, and every now and then he'll text me, and he'll be like, hey, Dad, I got 10 more pounds on my bench press, and he'll send me a video. Or he'll be like, hey, Dad, I got 15 more pounds on my back squat, and I'm just like, man, way to go, buddy, and I'm, I'm cheering him on, and I don't know, uh, those of you dads of teenage boys in the room, you can sort of probably identify with me. You're simultaneously cheering him on and kind of secretly resenting him. Because I look at him and I realize it's like, I ain't that anymore, right? I'm like, like, you're like the younger, better version of me. You're Brockett 2.0. And I, like, you know, you're welcome for those genetics. Please don't ruin it at Taco Bell, right? It's just that, that kind of feel. But what we're after here is not muscular gains. What we're after in this series is spiritual gains. So when we talk about gains, just another way of talking about spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, because I... I want you to know that I just stated what our mission is. Our mission is to get people to Jesus. And our mission is very simple and it's complicated. That's the simple part. The simple part is we are laser focused on getting you to Jesus. We will do anything short of sin to get you to Jesus. The complicated part is the growth part. And I've been saying this over and over again. I can't do growth for you. And growth is really inconsistent. Here's the thing about spiritual growth. Those of you that have been following after Jesus for a long time, you can testify to this. Spiritual growth never is just up and to the right. It is just never like consistent growth, 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 growth. It just doesn't work that way. Speaking from personal experience and from observation, spiritual growth is up and it's down. And it's forward and it's backward and it's side to side. And sometimes you feel plateaued for a really, really long time. And what I've noticed is it's not necessarily been the mountaintops that have caused me to grow. I've actually borne more fruit in the valleys. And spiritual growth is messy. It's heartbreaking. I had somebody ask me this question this last week. They said, uh, how many people do you figure are still following after Jesus? All the people that you baptized in that tank over the years. How many people are you still following after Jesus? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Uh, Jesus wasn't 100%. I mean, just look at his 12 disciples. That wasn't really, you know, I mean, Ju- you got Judas, you got, I, so I don't think I'm 100% either, but it's messy. And the reason why it's messy is because people are messy, inconsistent, and deeply flawed. Just turn to your neighbor and say, man, you're messy. <laughs> and the reason why I can stand up here and say that was some of you are enjoying that way too much. It just caused a fight on the way home. All right, so the reason why I know that to be true is because I'm messy and I'm inconsistent and I'm deeply flawed. And that's just the way the spiritual growth goes. But yet at the same time, we're still going after it as a church. So on this final week of the series, can I just ask you a question that I I just realized, I just want to go ahead and put it out there. I know this is invasive, all right? I know this is probably going to cause you to go, whoa, back up, preacher man, all right? Here's the question. When it comes to your spiritual growth, how you doing? 
Now, I'm not asking about the spiritual growth of your spouse or your roommate or your coworkers or your kids. I'm asking about you because you're the only one that can answer that question. Let me just take it a step further. Give yourself a grade, right, like A through F, like, like how you doing. Now, please don't misunderstand me because this is easy to misunderstand. I'm not asking you to grade your salvation. Man, if your life is in Christ, if you've made a decision to follow after Jesus, your, the grade for your salvation is A+. Because it's not based on anything that you can do. It's based on what Jesus did for you. I'm talking about your spiritual growth. I'm talking about your spiritual gains. And the only bad answer is a dishonest one. You can be really honest and go, man, I don't know, maybe like a D, D minus. Well, at least you're honest. And now you know what to work from. And so how are you doing when it comes to your spiritual growth? Just because you made a decision to follow after Jesus a long time ago, just because you've been in church most weekends, just because you're getting up there in age biologically does not mean that you've been making spiritual gains. Like the author of Hebrews, uh, who is anonymous by the way, <laughs> and I think the reason why uh, he stayed anonymous was probably because of verses like this in chapter 5 verses 12 through 14. Listen to this, this is pretty hard-hitting, but it's true. He's writing to a group of believers, and he says this, You have been believers so long now. Now, let's just put a number on that. How long do you think that is? I don't know, let, let me just go ahead and throw a number out there. Let's just say five years or more, all right? You've been following after Jesus five years or more now that you ought to be... Now, could you imagine what he might say next if you didn't know what that passage said? That you ought to be better, that you ought to know more, that you ought to be more generous. Like, what do you think? All the things that he could say. Here's what he says. That you ought to be teaching others. Now, teaching others, that doesn't necessarily mean, like, leading a group or teaching a Bible study or preaching a sermon. Because not everybody has a teaching gift. Now, it could mean those things, but it means way more than those things. The primary focus of what he's saying there is that your spiritual gains is others-focused. That it's not about you. That it's always about others. And he says, instead, you need someone to teach you again. In other words, basic review here, the basic things about God's Word. You don't need new things. You don't need deeper things. You need just a basic review once again because you haven't applied all the truths to your life that you've already heard. And then he says, you're like babies. Could you imagine saying that to somebody's face? You're like a baby. You'd probably get smacked. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Now think about that for just a second. Right, he's talking about spiritually here, but what if this was like, what if this like popped up in like real life? Let's just say that you and I decide to go to lunch after church today and we go to a restaurant, we sit down and we look at the menu and there's all this sophisticated adult food that I could order off the menu. You got maybe a Cobb salad or a salmon filet or a, a sandwich of some kind and you order an adult meal, but I ask the waitress for a bottle. Could you, you know, like a bottle with a little sippy thing on the top and like, could you fill that up with some warm milk? That'd be great. And you'd be looking at me like, are you serious? And like they come and they serve you like your nice little cob salad and I take the bottle and like, you know, I'm like sucking on it. Like you'd be like, this is embarrassing. Like you would, you would leave. You're like, you're a grown man drinking out of a bottle. And the author of Hebrews says, we have so many people who've been following Jesus five years or more still, still slurping out of a bottle. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know what to do with his right. Solid food is for those who are mature. Now here it is. How do you get mature? Say these two words with me. Through 
training. That's how you get it. You do not get mature by listening to sermons. It can help, but if you never apply it, then you're not training. Nobody else can do growth for you. Now, Jesus did your salvation for you. When you placed your faith in him, your, your life is hidden in Christ. But your spiritual maturity, your growth, the fruits of the Spirit, comes not just by attending church, not just by being a Christian for a long time, not just by naturally growing older, but by training. He goes, you, you, get, you got to train, having the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Your spiritual growth is not about you. It's not about you. In fact, the only time that gains have anything to do with just you is in the gym. That's why when you go into one of those big box gym, there's mirrors all over the wall so that you can look right back at yourself. I have never gone to a curl station over there banging out curls looking at the person beside me like, I hope that this benefits you. <laughs> like, no. Like, I'm doing it so that you could be envious of me, right? I was just, like, I'm focused solely on myself. Spiritual gains, it's just the opposite. Man, if you're looking into the spiritual mirror just trying to go deeper for you, then the author of Hebrews, and then Paul's going to back this up as we finish out this series, then it's misplaced. He is talking here about becoming others-focused. In other words, let me say it as plainly as I can. The primary mark of someone who is spiritually maturing is that they invest themselves into others. I would say that behind our mission statement and behind uh, the words, you know, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, the most important four words that we need to be reminded of as a church family are these right here. It's not about me. It's not about me. And the next time I begin to feel sorry for myself, I just need to say, man, it's not, it's not about me. And the next time I'm tempted to complain, man, man it's not about me. And the next time I, I, I feel, start to get bitter or I start to feel like I'm forgotten, or I, I just need to say, man, it is not about me. It is so crucial. And I think that lovingly we need to say these words to each other from time to time. Those that you're in relationship with, those that have, you've already earned their trust, maybe in your group or maybe in a personal relationship. And I just found that maybe the, sometimes just from time to time, when I just find myself complaining, I just need a, a loving friend to say, hey man, just, just wanted to love you and tell you, man, it's not about you. And this is what Paul is doing with Timothy and Titus. He's been training himself in all those decades of training. Now, he's not going to hold on to it. He's going to pass it on to these younger leaders so that they'll pass it on to us. And that's why you and I are sitting here today. So two questions before I read these last eight verses that I want you to ask of yourself. How's my training? How's my spiritual training? And who's going to benefit from it other than me? And the truth is, is that good intentions are never enough. Like If you want to grow spiritually, you've got to be intentional about it. So let me read these last eight verses. Then I want to make three uh, observations that are application takeaways for you to, to go with you today. All right? Here, here, let me start in verse 1. Paul writes these words to Timothy. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct and rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching. Now, 
as a preacher, Timothy was primarily a preacher, and as a preacher, I, I really love and appreciate that verse. Um, the message paraphrases that verse this way. Uh, Don't ever quit and just keep it simple. And man, there have been so many times in my preaching ministry over the years where I've just had to say that to myself over and over again. Man, don't ever quit and just keep it simple. Like, I'll, you know, I'll finish preaching and from, from this point back to that point as I'm walking across the stage, I'm like, Brockett, you forgot to keep it simple, stupid. All right, just, just keep it simple. Just keep it plain. Just keep people's eyes fixed upon Jesus. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth and chase after myths. But you, Timothy, verse 5, you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and faithfully carry out the ministry God has given you. Now as for me, my life has already been, and here he says it, poured out. He has poured himself out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I love verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. Man, what a great thing to be able to say at the end of your life. What, what makes that verse particularly meaningful is if you flip over to Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul, as a younger man, said that exact same thing to the Ephesian elders when he was serving at that church. As he told these guys, he said, I just want to finish the race. I just want to remain faithful. Now he's telling Timothy that he did. And then in verse 8 he says, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but everyone, all, who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now let me take what I just read there and boil it down into three primary takeaways for you and I to continue to make spiritual gains. Here's the first one. Man, if you want to grow, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I know that sounds simple, but it is so profound. And here's the reason why. The focus of your attention determines your direction. The focus of your primary attention will determine your direction. And when you're distracted, you don't grow. It's kind of like, you know, the big thing right now is just like making, because we've all got our phones on us so much, is that we make sure that we're not texting and driving you ever like kind of pulled up beside somebody as you're going down the road and you kind of look over and they're just like doing this and you just want to roll down the window and yell at them because you're just like, man, I, I don't care how good of a driver you think you are, you're distracted and, if you, and you're going to end up off the road because you're, you're not looking out the, the windshield. And the same is true in life. I'm reminded of that, uh, uh, that time when there's a storm and Peter's walking out to Jesus on the water. He's doing this incredible thing. He's actually walking on water. But when he begins to sink, what, what happened? Well, he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to focus on the wind and the waves. And I don't know how many times I've done that in my life. There will always be wind and waves. And the minute that I begin to focus on them over than Jesus in my life is the minute that I begin to sink. And so can I just ask you, what are you doing on a daily basis just to kind of redirect your eyes back to Jesus? It doesn't take as long as you think it does. Just to stay focused upon him. Not to get wrapped up in the things that might cause worry or anxiety or fear, but in the moment there to fix your eyes upon Jesus. And, and, and let me just take this one step further, why this is so profound. As I asked you a few minutes ago to grade your spiritual maturity, and I want you to know that even though it might be helpful for you to do that for yourself from time to time, God's not doing that of you. And here's why. Because when God looks at you, if your life is hidden in Christ, God sees his son Jesus. 
And he is... He receives you and he loves you and you don't have to do anything to to perform for God or to get his good attention. Your life is hidden in Christ. What that does now is it actually frees you up to live more confidently for him. And some of you today, you may be like, man, it sounds so simple just to say, keep my eyes fixed upon Jesus, but you don't know what I'm going through. Like I'm just going through something really, really difficult right now and I know that you are. But can I just ask you to shift your perspective just just a little bit. And when you're going through something that is incredibly difficult, that you don't know that you have enough strength to to, to do it, just begin to to think to yourself, this is an opportunity for me to train. I said a moment ago that it's been in the valleys that I've produced the most fruit. It's been through the most significant trials of my life that I've grown the most. Now, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I don't want to go back through it again. But when I'm in the middle of it, it's an opportunity for me to train and it's an opportunity for me to put my trust in God and to say, God, I trust that you're going to take this trial and this difficulty and you're going to produce some spiritual gains in my life if I stay focused upon you. Here's the second thing Paul says to Timothy is be aware of your surroundings. Always be evaluating, always be meditating on, thinking through what's, what's going on in your life, what's God trying to say to you. Paul, Paul tells Timothy, back in verses 3 and 4, he says, you need to understand the culture and the times in which you are living. Hey, Timothy, understand what is going on in the world. I love that passage in the Old Testament. It's 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. It says, the men of Issachar, they understood the times, and because they understood the times, they knew what Israel should do. So this is this idea that they were students of the culture. They knew what was going on. Therefore, they took that into account, and then they knew what Israel should do. So, so here's the deal. Spiritual training, without giving any thought to how my growth is going to benefit others, particularly those people in the world that are far from God, if we never consider that, then it's going to lead us into this place where, where we don't like love the world or have... Uh, a heart for the world or compassion for the world, what ends up happening, if you've been following Jesus five years or more, but you've not been growing with that mindset, then it ends up causing us to maybe be fearful of the world or judgmental of the world or isolating ourselves from what's going on around us. And there are times I can just hear traces of it in conversations of Christ followers that have begun to maybe isolate from the world. And we end up kind of turning it into like an us versus them like we're the good guys and they're the bad guys and we are shocked that non-christians don't act like christians imagine that and so our response is to maybe i don't know boycott (laughs) we think that's the answer right so you mean to tell me the starbucks isn't going to have red cups at christmas this year boycott you mean to tell me the pillsbury doughboy still doesn't have pants boycott all right we're No more cinnamon rolls for us. And we end up isolating ourselves from the world instead of actually trying to engage. Paul says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, be aware of what's going on around you so that you can be clear-minded in every situation. What do you think that means? It means you have a proper understanding. You know that the world is not the enemy. The world is the hostage of an enemy. And so we don't blend in, but we also don't isolate. 
Jesus would put it this way in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Now, those of you that have been following Jesus five years or more, you probably know how to finish this statement. So don't do it just yet. Just, just, just let me read it. He says, follow me and I will make you. And once again, what do you think? How do you think you might finish that sentence? Hey, if you follow me, if you've been making spiritual gains in your life, I will make you better. Like, I'll make you uh, more religious. I'll make you irresistibly attractive. I mean, what, what, how do you think Jesus might finish that statement? Here's how he finishes it. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, he originally said that to his 12 disciples, most of whom were professional fishermen. And he's calling them out of that profession to follow him. And he says, instead of fishing for fish, you guys will fish for men. But Understand the principle behind it. He says, the result of your spiritual gains in following me is that you will search for other people. That it is not about you. And spiritual gains will always be about the benefit of other people. Primarily, your spiritual maturity will cause you to say, man, I've got to go search for some of God's lost kids because there's a lot of them. You ever heard that phrase, uh, hurt people hurt people? Well, what about this one? Found people, find people. That's always the result of your spiritual gains. Is that you are so wrapped up and concerned about people that are far from God. That you want to go after them. Now, uh, occasionally, uh, there might be somebody who wonders, you know, are, are you guys, like, I mean, this is the reason why we encourage you to invite your friends at Easter. And this is the reason why we start campuses, because we just believe that there's more lost kids out there than are found. And so we, and listen, you might think that uh, adding campuses and inviting to Easter is all about just growing a bigger church. Can I just, like, let you in on a little bit here? Like, there was a time in my life that I thought growing a big church was kind of cool. I'm way past it now. Like, I'm over it. Because a bigger church just means like more criticism and more problems and more complexity. And I'm just kind of like, you know what? I don't really care about that. Like, any, I'm serious. I don't. What I am concerned about, like red hot, never, never been more concerned about it in my life, is finding more of God's lost kids. And, I, and it doesn't have to be this church. Right? It's, not like, it's not like, well, uh, that they have to come here. I just want them to know Jesus. And it's like, and every now and then I take shots for this. Like, like well, you're just, about, you're just about the numbers. I was like, no, I'm not. How, how many of you have kids and you've lost one? I, I've, I've misplaced. I say misplaced. I like to say misplaced. All right? it's like, it just sounds like I've misplaced a child. I've done that from time to time. In a public place, the airport, Disney. And I've got four kids, and never once, whenever my wife and I have that heated conversation, because it's most of the time, it's, all the time, it's my fault, is that <laughs> never once have I looked back at her and be like, man, what's the big deal? Why are you so much about the numbers, right? We still got three. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's quality over quantity. Look who's missing, all right? So <laughs> never once have I said that. But yet, I hear that all the time in the church. And so found people... We find people. Listen, man, if, if that kind of uh, has begun to seep into your language, like this whole idea of us versus them, real, us versus them, religion divides the world into good guys and bad guys. The gospel divides the world into sinful people and Jesus. This is not an us versus them, a good guys, bad guys. There is not a good us and a bad them. There is only a sinful we and a gracious he. And spiritually mature people want to get them to the grace of Jesus. 
The last takeaway is simply this. Paul says to Timothy, man, be inspired, Timothy. Be inspired. That's always the result of encouragement. But also go and be inspiring. Paul says, I poured my life out into you. Timothy, I want you to pour your life out into others. Let me just say it as plainly as I can. If other people are not benefiting from the way that you follow Jesus, then chances are you're not following Jesus right. And I wouldn't be where I am today and doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for older, spiritually mature men and women who saw some things in me that I couldn't see and chose to encourage me when I didn't deserve to be encouraged. I never, ever thought I would be a pastor until somebody spoke that into my life. They looked at me and they said, you know, Aaron, have you ever thought about this? Like, because I see that maybe God has gifted you in this particular way. I didn't see it until they said it. If you have a thought, like if you see somebody, particularly who's younger, who demonstrates some sort of gifting, don't just think it to yourself. Say it to them. Just find an opportunity to say, you know what, I just see this in you. And God's got big plans for your life. And whatever I can do to help, man, I'd, I'd love to be able to help. I've shared my story with you before. I'll just share a condensed version of it. I felt called by God to preach when I was 19, which is just crazy if you would have known me because I was such a shy kid. I got a D's in my high school speech class. I never, ever thought. My, my grandfather was a preacher. So anytime I hear Reverend Brockett, I always like I'm looking for him. Like I'm just like, like I never, ever thought that God would call me to do this. And yet there was this, this dramatic experience where I felt like God was calling me to preach and I did not want to do it. I I went kicking and screaming. And I remember I was 19 years old. I got my very first opportunity to preach. It was at this small little church in a small little town in northwest Arkansas. And I wrote a sermon on the Good Samaritan. It was 25 pages long. I still have it. It's in a notebook. It's horrible theology. I'll never preach it again. And I, I, um, I remember I got to the church. I was scared out of my mind. 19-year-old kid. And I, I walked into this church. They didn't have a preacher, so they were just looking for different people to fill the pulpit. And they had one of those big, huge wood pulpits up front. Any of you, uh, and I kind of wrapped around you, any of you remember uh, 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 Home Improvement, that television show in the 90s, Tim the Toolman uh, Taylor, and his neighbor, you never saw his face, it was always like this. That's how, what it was like. I was just like over the, could, didn't stand over the pulpit. And I stood up there, and I looked down, and I read that sermon as fast as I could, all 25 pages in about 10 minutes. Some of you are like, we like that time frame. Why don't you get back to that time frame? All right. but, but I get done, and I, I walk off the stage. I was just like, I don't know what happened. Like, that was awful. And I, like, sit down, and there was, like, there was literally, like, 15 people there that morning. I'll never forget, because I never articulated anybody, not, not my mom and my dad, not even my very best friend, that I was feeling called to preach. I was just sitting on that, because I just thought, this is a season. It'll pass. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll never forget, there was three men in that church that asked to talk to me afterwards and I thought I was in trouble I didn't know how this worked I didn't know if you got a pink slip if this went on your permanent record three strikes you're out of ministry like I didn't know I didn't know and I'll never forget they pulled me into this little Sunday school classroom and they came around me and they said hey they said is that your first sermon and I said yeah and they go we thought so and uh <laughs> And I will never forget what they said next because it changed the whole trajectory of my life. I didn't expect to get emotional. <laughs> they said, we, we feel that God is calling you to do this with the rest of your life. And 
we just want to pray over you. We just want to pray over you before you leave. And I was stunned. I was like, did you hear that sermon? That was awful. <laughs> and they, they could see past the imperfections. And they could see something that I couldn't quite see. And if it wasn't for those older gray-haired men who took an opportunity, they could have just let me go back to campus and just, they said it. And I want to encourage you to say the same thing. Here, here's here's the, the primary takeaway that I want to leave you with today is if you see a younger person, would you just speak some courage into their life? And as a younger person, would you reach out and thank someone that's spoken that courage into your life? Listen, that's what it means to be a multi-generational church. We've thrown that term out. We've talked about it from time to time. And I know that, can I just take an opportunity? Petey did this a few weeks ago. I just want to back him up and say the same thing. If you've been in our church, you're over the age of, 50 or 55, and you've been in our church for a long time, you have seen a lot of change. And I know it's probably not a lot of change that's been all that exciting to you from time to time. But thank you for hanging in there with us. And thank you for loving people the way that Jesus loves people. We need you. Multi-generational church is not about creating a traditional service and a contemporary service where everybody's happy. That just divides age groups. And we need people of different generations worshiping right alongside one another. And I know that it may not always fit your preference, but I want you just to develop this, the, the same heart that Paul had for Timothy and Titus to say, you know what, I'm going to pour myself out. And I see this all the time. At the Lecrae concert a couple weeks ago, I was sitting right back there just to the right of the soundboard with my son and his three friends. And I looked down into that uh, little uh, hallway right there here at the Northwest Campus, and I saw these two older ladies I'm not going to guess how old they were. That would be rude, all right? But they, 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 they're, they're older, and one was an African-American, one was a Caucasian lady, and they're, they're buddies. They were, like, kind of next to each other, and they were serving that night. I recognized them. They, they go to our church. And they were serving, and they were taking tickets and showing younger people where to sit. And I was watching them, and I was like, man, that is so cool that they would give up a Friday night to come and serve at this Lecrae concert so they could pour themselves into the lives of younger people. But they ain't going to like this. I was like, as soon as the, as, I mean, you think it's loud on Sunday morning. Whoa, like it was, wow, it was loud in here. And I thought, uh, man, as soon as this concert starts, they're going to be out of here. <laughs> and I was so wrong. Like I looked down during the middle of the Lecrae concert, and they were both just like, <laughs> you know, just like jamming, like giving each other a high five, like with their iPhones, and like recording the thing. I just thought, this is so awesome. Man, that's what it means. Can, can, can we all just kind of develop that same heart as well? To say, man, uh, I, need to, I need to always be on the lookout for somebody who, who maybe I just need to articulate what the Spirit of God has been doing in their heart to bring it to life. And then you circle back up and thank those people because I guarantee you, your personal growth has a name attached to it. So go seek them out and thank them. Father, we come to you right now and I just thank you for this study in 2 Timothy I thank you that our salvation, if we were to give a grade to it, is A plus because of the finished work of Jesus. And right now, maybe our spiritual maturity isn't doing so well. And so, Father, I pray today that we would just be willing to be honest about it and that we would lean into you and take our training seriously, recognizing that the benefit of our spiritual training is always for the good of others. And that the side blessing of that is that we grow from it 
So, Father, I pray that we would have that kind of a heart. We would foster that kind of a heart as a church. We love you and we thank you for who you are and what you've done. Now, we, may we give that to others. And we ask this right now in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Amen.